Christmas movies the last three or four weeks. If you had to pick between these four Christmas movies right here, and it was only these four, so your favorite may not be up here. The Santa Claus, sorry, Chris, it may not be up here. If you had to pick between these four, which one would you pick to watch? If you could only watch one, raise your hand for Home Alone. Raise your hand if Home Alone, whoa, look at this. And my wife just loves you all the more now. That is, yes. Did you raise your hand on Home Alone? Was that yours? She's like, yeah, yeah. Well, we couldn't find out if they did this year. The Christmas Story, 1983. Remember, little, thank you, thank you. Share that with my father. Number three, It's a Wonderful Life. Going back, black and white movie. I, I'm noticing some people are raising their hand multiple times. That's, that's beautiful. And number four, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, The Griswolds. And we're getting some amens out of that. Well, we would all agree that Christmas, Christmas movies are great part of Christmas. Uh, Christmas Vacation is one of the best movies. This happened in Texas. This particular house was, this family was decorating their house like the Griswolds did in Christmas Vacation. And somebody was driving by and they thought that they would play a little bit of a prank. And so they pulled the ladder out. Lo and behold, that's not a person hanging, that's a dummy hanging from the roof. And so they took a picture and they actually took a picture with the family as well. This is Spencer, an 11 year old from North Chicago. A couple weekends ago, he was challenged by his friends to stick his tongue on a metal pole. And, and you know what happens when you're double dared as you have no choice, you have to save face. And so he put his tongue on the pole. And if you look carefully, Part of his tongue is still on that pole. If you look very carefully, part of his tongue is still there. This was his quote. I was trying to get it off. I was being gentle and freaking out. Some of my taste buds came off onto the pole. It hurt very badly. So, but as great as Christmas movies are and Christmas traditions, the best part of Christmas are the kids. Are you with me? It's the kids, watching the kids. Here's a few letters written to Santa Claus. I think they'll like, dear Santa, I don't know if you can read them, so I'll read it. Dear Santa, how are you and the reindeer doing? I'm doing fine. I want a new football game and, and a new football because my little brother always tries to steal mine. He may look sweet, but he is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Uh, next one, dear Santa, wanted to tell you I am fine. I don't know if you can, could you possibly make it so I can turn into a dragon, please. Or a pet dragon, either one will do. Though I would like it if you can make me turn into a dragon. P.S. Have a happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> kind of missed the, a little off there, but my favorite, dear Santa, you better bring my pony this year or there will be consequences. Well, the consequences, I pray, from going through Mark 1, this is our sixth week in Mark 1, and our last one is that you have been blessed by Jesus. Let's, let's go from verses 40 through 45. I'm going to read the whole text, and then we'll go back and do some dissecting from our passage today. The man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, 
but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Before we really dive into this passage, I want to share with you eight elements of biblical healing. But before we dive in, I just, I just, before we really get into this, the reason I want to share this is because we've already had an incident of healing last week. It was actually probably, scholars say, the largest event of healing in Jesus's ministry of his life. He did it all night long, probably healed more people in last week's story than in any other story that we're going to go through. But we're going to run across many different healings. And, well, I love you. And so I'm going to tell you the truth on healings. Uh, you're going to run across people, often on TV, that are going to say they can heal you. And they're going to ask for your credit card number beforehand. And I just get a little sick about that. Using the gospel or using a healing or using quite possibly deception. Using the Bible to earn money in, in that kind of way. And before you really dive into following people like that or making that phone call or learning about this, I, I know it seems secondary, but it really is primary because it does a lot of damage to the name of Christ. And so I'm just, I'm just going to give it to you. Rather than not talking about it, we're going to talk about it. I, I want to give you eight elements of biblical healing for people who say that they have the healing powers of Jesus. And I ran across those people. I want to give you some insights. Number one, real quick, this isn't the message. I just want to give it to you. Did you know that Jesus healed everyone? There is never a recorded instance in your New Testament that someone came to him asking for a healing and he didn't do it. He never turned anyone down, ever. There wasn't a qualification process. There wasn't a disqualification process. He, he never got back at somebody. He never was trying to prove a point. He never said, based on what you did last week, I'm not gonna heal you. For, and when I say everyone, everyone who ever came to Jesus for a healing got healed. And the first time I learned that, I said, no way. Surely he said no to somebody. Go through your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said no to nobody. He said no to nobody. He said no to nobody. That's right. Okay. Almost didn't seem right there. But he, ne he never said no. Number two, Jesus not only healed everyone, Jesus healed instantly. What does that mean? There was never a case recorded where Jesus healed, and then he said, in about three hours, you're going to feel a lot better. In the next couple weeks, your leg's going to get better and better. It was always boom. It was immediately. He never said next month. He never said next year. He never said once the doctors get a hold of you. There was, it was always instant. The second his hand touched him, or the second his voice said, be healed, he was healed. No delay on Jesus' healing. Number three. Jesus healed everyone. Jesus healed instantly. Number three, Jesus healed completely. Now, here's my memory. And this just stands out. I, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old. I'm watching television, a televangelist, and he's asking for credit card numbers. Um, and, and, and you will be healed. And I remember on the TV, and this is just vague, but I remember a guy coming forward in a wheelchair. Okay? And they did their little thing up front and the hand on the forehead and... And, and all of that stuff, and he said, you are healed. And the man got up out of the wheelchair, and he stood up, and the crowd went crazy, and he hobbled out of the auditorium. Wait a minute. He's hobbling. Well, I'm grateful he's walking, but if that was Jesus's power, he would not be hobbling. He never healed halfway. He never healed 80%. If that was Jesus, he would have been running out of that auditorium. 
If you're crippled, you go to perfect legs. If you're blind, you go to 20-20 vision. He healed completely, instantly, everyone. Number four, Jesus healed with a word or a touch. That's all he needed. Sometimes he healed with just a word from a distance. He wasn't even around the person. There's one instance that the, the, the little girl was in a, a seem, seemingly a different town. He wasn't even around her. He, he just healed it. He didn't need a formula. He didn't need an abracadabra. He didn't need a big show. Somebody said, can I be healed? You're healed. Done. No, look at me. He just needed a word or a touch. This next one may surprise you. Faith, number five, had nothing to do with his healings. Have you heard? If you believe, you will receive. If you have enough faith, you'll be healed. Have you heard that? You won't find that in your New Testament. As a matter of fact, some of the people Jesus healed were unbelievers. They had no faith. He healed one person in John 5 who didn't even ask to be healed. Don't tell me faith. Now, some people did have faith. Some people didn't have faith. Next week's story, the person has faith. But it goes to show, actually, the amount of faith wasn't determining whether or not he was going to heal you. For some, it was none. For some, it was a lot. For most, it was somewhere in the middle. Don't go into that. If you have enough faith, you will be healed. That wasn't Jesus' criteria for who he was healing. Believe it or not, faith had little to do with it or nothing to do with it. And number six, just FYI, Jesus raised dead people. So other people who are saying that they're healing like Jesus, I want to bring you to some funerals. If you're that person here today, can you come to the funeral? And when you give them the credit card, <laughs> they're not raising dead people. And by the way, how much faith does a dead person have? Well, if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. Well, a dead person doesn't have any faith. Just remember, Jesus raised dead people. And by the way, he raised himself. Who raised Jesus? There's one verse that says God did. There's one verse that says the Holy Spirit did. There's one verse that said he did. All three did. He was part of raising himself. Number seven, these last two are important for you. God never promises to heal you here. Ever. Don't buy into that. That if you're a believer, if you believe enough, you're going to be healed. He never promises that. Actually, the Apostle Paul went to him for a healing. He says, I have a thorn in my flesh. Will you remove my thorn in the flesh? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe. And what did God say? Paul asked three times and God said no. God said no and God said no. And Paul said, okay. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, did the Apostle Paul not have faith? He wrote most of your New Testament. I think the Apostle Paul had faith. One of the greatest Christians of all time. And God said no. He never promised to heal him. He didn't heal Timothy. Timothy had a stomach problem. Paul said, take a little wine for the stomach's sake. What he was telling Timothy wasn't, I'll be there in a few days and I'll heal you. He didn't say, grow up, buddy, and get some faith and you'll be healed. He said, take some medicine. Wine was a medicinal liquid at that time to heal your stomach. He said, take some medicine, dude. So God never promises to heal us here. Number eight, he does promise to heal us there. That is a promise. You want to know what's up with all this healing that we're about to go through in the book of Mark? You're, we're going to go story after story after story of healing. You want to know what it's all about? What was he up to? Here's what it was all about. He was proving to us that you can trust him. He promises that someday 
there's going to be no sickness, no pain, no diseases. And we say, how could we trust that? Because he showed us while he was here, he could do it. We can trust him. Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are what? Trustworthy and true. You can trust, Nathan, that I will do it there. How can I trust that? Because I showed you that I could do it here. And no one ever came to me with a disease. No one ever came with a problem. No one ever came with a situation that I couldn't handle. Now, I don't promise to heal you, Nathan, here. But you can trust that I will do it there. And that I'm capable of doing it there. Because I showed you I could do it while I was on this earth. He was giving us a glimpse of heaven. That's what all the healing is about. Perfection. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? A place with no more sickness? No more diseases? A place with no heartache? A place with no joint pain, a place with no baby caskets, a place with no motionless ultrasounds, no doctor visits, no emergency phone calls, no negative surprises, no drunk driving car collisions, no break-ins, no reports on cancer, no addictions, no broken families, no hurt kids. The old order of things have passed away. I am making everything new. That's good news. And we can trust in that future day. So let's move away from the miracle. Let's focus on the sickness for a moment. What was the sickness in this case? Leprosy. We cannot grasp what is going on in this story until we understand what leprosy is. First of all, are, is, is there leprosy today? There is. There's leper colonies still today. Most of them are in India, but one of them was in Louisiana not that long ago. Carville, Louisiana, 1999, just shut down. 19 years ago now but there's leper colonies still around the world leprosy is still a condition leprosy for them in the bible was the ultimate disease god used it as a graphic illustration of what sin does in our life so let me give you some specifics about leprosy it was a condition where your body would rot away starting with your fingertips and going up starting with your toes and going up your leg, your body would just rot. It was considered contagious. So everywhere you went, if you had leprosy, you had to yell, unclean, unclean. It was like a snowplow going through the middle of downtown Main Street. Everybody would just part. Unclean, don't be around me because it's contagious. You would be required, if you had leprosy, to live outside of town. You were not allowed to live inside a community, inside a neighborhood. You had to be away from everybody else, which was a big deal then because protection came inside of town and you would be lonely out there in the wilderness. It was against the law to touch someone with leprosy. I actually discovered this week, I didn't know this. It was against the law to walk under the shadow of a tree if somebody from leprosy just walked under the shadow of that same tree. You were considered physically unclean, but you were also considered spiritually unclean. People assumed you had sinned in a bad way if you had leprosy. You were considered a social outcast. Nobody would talk to you. You were on the outside. You could have no communication with other people. Leprosy was incurable. It was a death sentence. You were a dead man walking or a dead woman walking. But if you were to sum it all up, leprosy was the absence of pain. What killed you wasn't the leprosy. 
what killed you was that you couldn't feel anything because your nerve endings were shot. And so do you realize how valuable pain is? It's a gift, pain is a gift. You never said thank you for pain, God, but you ought to say thank you for pain today. Because if I put my hand too close to a fire, pain will tell me, pull my hand back. But if you don't have the gift of pain, you, you will put your hand too close to the fire, and it is actually the fire that will destroy your hand, not the leprosy. And so I know not to punch a concrete wall, but the reason I know not to punch a concrete wall is because of the pain against my fist. I would destroy my hand. But if you have leprosy, you don't have pain. You don't have your nerve endings functioning correctly. So you would do things throughout the day, throughout your life, that would just destroy your body. By the way, that is sin. Sin is self-destruction from within. You lose your conscience on how bad it is, on how destructive it is, on how it hurts other people, and it just destroys your life from within you. It is the absence of a conscience toward God. It's spiritual leprosy. Sin is. So with that understanding of leprosy in our minds, let's go verse by verse and pull out some insights. Verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him. Who did he come to? Him is Jesus. I don't want to skip this. This man who had no hope, to whom did he turn? <laughs> Jesus. The first step to spiritual healing, church, is to come to Jesus. We could end the sermon right there. You have no hope apart from Jesus. I have no hope apart from Jesus. Notice he didn't say, come to church and you will be healed. Now, I'm not against church, obviously. But if a church is worth its salt, when you come to a church, that church will point you to Jesus. The church can't heal you. The preacher can't heal you, I promise. Jesus can heal you. It doesn't say come to baptism and baptism will heal you. Now, I'm not against baptism. I'm for obeying the commands of baptism. But the water doesn't heal you. The water is a picture of what Jesus does inside of you. You should get baptized. But it's Jesus who's doing the work. So you should come to church. You should be baptized. And you should be friends with your preacher. Let me just throw that out there. But it's really all pointing us to Jesus Christ. Years ago, in a revival back in the Midwest, after a service, I remember shaking hands back in the back and there was a man who was just kind of hanging out and it, it came down to really just me and him in the auditorium he was a big guy big burly fat big cowboy belt and you know cowboy boots and all that stuff looked like a big strong guy i thought man i hope i didn't say something wrong i'm about to get beat up but he came to me actually broken he was in tears and he said nathan i don't know what has happened but my 21-year-old daughter has gone prodigal. And he started to describe some of the ways she was living, some of the directions going. It was obvious she had gone prodigal. It wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And he said, I don't know what I did wrong. And then, I didn't know what to say, but then he answered his own question. He said, I think I know what it is. I raised her in church, but I didn't raise her in Christ. And there can be a difference. I hope not, but that can happen where you pick up on all the rules, all the rituals, all the lights and the glamour, and you miss Jesus. I just want to point out, the first step to healing is always to come to Jesus. 
Actually, Jesus himself gave this invitation in Matthew 11. He says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened. Anybody ever been weary and burdened? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's be honest. Us humans can be pretty hard on each other. I'm glad Jesus isn't so hard on us. Walking in, I don't know if you saw the signs on the ceiling. I'm learning down this hallway that people are not seeing the signs on the ceiling. <laughs> after I've been asking some people, but our values are up on the ceiling. And I would tell you to look at them on your way out, but on the way out, it's the back side of the sign, so you can't see it that way either. We're working on it. But on the front side, you're going to see our three values, which is bringing people to Jesus, growing people in Jesus, and equipping people for Jesus. But notice the common word in all three. It's purposely Jesus. And the first one is purposely bringing people to Jesus. Even if we just get one hour with you, one day with you, one moment with you, we want to show you Jesus. And that's, that's what I see in this passage. Sounds like an easy first step. Nathan, I like that. You may not like the next one. Look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him, but how did he come to him? What kind of heart? He begged him on his knees. That's humility. That's desperation. That's spiritual bankruptcy. It's not just come to Jesus. It's come to Jesus with a humble heart. It's come to him broken. It's coming to him saying, I need help. I need you to put your hand on me. I was studying this week, doing some research. What are people's, what are Americans' favorite verses? Americans poll, thousands of people poll. Second favorite verse is this. God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever heard that? That's an interesting verse. Other than it's not a verse. <laughs> Whoa. God helps them who helps himself. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. It's not in the Bible, but here is what is in the Bible. God helps those who cannot help themselves and admits it. I need help. Matthew 23, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Coming to Jesus is one thing. Coming to Jesus with a humble heart is the better thing. A man with leprosy, verse 40, came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's proof of his humility. He didn't come to Jesus with my conditions. Jesus, I'll, I'll become a Christian if you let me keep my Friday night activities. I'll come to Jesus if you let me keep this relationship that's not healthy, nor godly, nor honoring to you. I'll become a Christian if you don't butt into my illegal sales. I'll come to Jesus on my conditions. This man says, if you're willing, it's all you. Jesus, it's up to you. If you don't cleanse me, it's, it's up to you. It's not my deal. It's your deal. And is Jesus willing? Always is. Second Peter. It's God's will that nobody perishes. Hmm. You need to know he's willing. Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. And I don't have anything in my notes, but I just want you to know he's indignant. Some of your translations say angry. He's not angry at the man. He's angry at what sin does to people. But he's just angry at how this world has turned out. 
there's some bad things going on in this world. And Jesus doesn't like it. And he saw what it had done to this man. He reached out his hand and touched the man. And of course he says, I am willing to be clean. Did Jesus have to touch him? Or could he have just said a word? He could have just said a word. Why did he touch him? Why do you think he touched him? I think because Jesus knew his situation. This man hadn't been around people for years. This man hadn't had the touch of a human soul for years. This man was lonely. This man was hurting. This man was emotionally downcast. This man hadn't had anybody put his arm around him. Maybe for a long time, Luke, same story, tells us he was far into leprosy. So it would have been a long time since this man had the touch of a friend. And Jesus comes, and he could have just said, be clean, but he doesn't. He touches him because he knew what he needed. By the way, Jesus knows exactly where you are today. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what your thoughts are. He knows your struggles, and he will provide what you need if you go to him with a humble, broken heart. He will. Old Christian song, been singing it all week. My wife has probably heard me singing it in the background. It's called He Touched Me. It was written about this story. Shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched me, oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. Verse 42. Immediately. There it is. Jesus heals. Immediately. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And this is just a side note. Doesn't have much to do with the message. I want you to notice the last word. What's the last word in that verse? Cleansed. Why didn't it say healed? Every other miracle that Jesus ever did, it says that Jesus healed him. Every time that Jesus heals a leper, three different times, every time he heals a leper, it never uses the word healed. It always uses the word clean or cleansed. And actually, if you scan through your passage, you will find the word clean or cleansed four different times in your passage, pointing to us that God meant something more than just a physical healing here. Leprosy is pointing to our spiritual healing. It's not a healing, it's a cleansing. Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone. Go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Okay, turn to the person next to you and make sure they're awake. Just turn to them for a second, because this next, this next truth is important. If you were sleeping, shame on you, but get up just for a moment. Here's the story. Here's the point of this entire event. Jesus traded places with the leper. Don't miss it. Did you catch it? When the man went out and told everybody, up until this point, even in Mark, 
up until this point, Jesus had been in the villages healing and doing ministry, speaking in the synagogues. He's been in town. He's become popular. He's become almost a celebrity. He wasn't Capernaum, at least. He had become one with the people and sort of their hero. The leprosy at this point was outside of town. He was lonely. He was in the wilderness. He was a social outcast. Nobody wanted to touch him. Nobody wanted anything to do with him because he was unclean. When this story ends, it's Jesus who's now on the outside of town. What does it say? In, uh, in verses 45, he says, Jesus could no longer enter a town but stayed outside in lonely places. Now it's Jesus who is lonely, and now it's the man who gets to go into town because he's clean. He now has community. He now has fellowship. He now has friendship. He now has companions. He is clean. He is whole. He is pure. Jesus traded places with the leper. Jesus traded places with us. Didn't he? Remember Barabbas? Remember Jesus is on trial to go to the cross? And there's a man already in holding to be crucified named Barabbas, a terrible criminal. And he, Pilate yells at the crowd, do you want me to release Barabbas and keep Jesus instead? They all say, release Barabbas. Well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Pilate yelled. And they all yelled two words, crucify him. Crucify him. He traded places with Barabbas. He traded places with the leper. He has traded places with me and you. He went to that cross. We are the leper. He becomes unclean. And he became an outcast with his heavenly father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His father separated from him because he was unclean. His father came to us because we are now clean. We are trading places with him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the great trading places verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The question is not, is he willing? It's already shown he is. The question is, are we willing to come to him and say, I need help? He's never turned anybody down. Jesus healed everyone. And everyone who comes to him and says, I need help, he will heal. I'll close with this. Dr. Bill Cook was doing his residency in Memphis, Tennessee. He was excited because he was going to do it under the best surgeon in the city. And so he shows up on the first day, excited to learn from this major surgeon. And the surgeon announced to the crew, says, we're doing an appendectomy today. And then he looked at the resident, the young resident, Dr. Bill Cook, and he handed him the scalpel. He said, no, 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 no. This isn't why I came. I came to learn. I came to watch. I, I, didn't, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and he turned to the surgeon and said, I'm not ready for this. I've never done this before. And the doctor said, there isn't anything you can do that I can't fix. There's the gospel. Friends, there isn't anything you've ever done that God can't fix. Let's pray. Father, Christmas is not about Christmas. Christmas is about the gospel. And so, Father, I pray this week that the truth of the gospel 
weighs on our hearts, weighs on our minds, and weighs in our actions. And Father, we are forever grateful for trading places with us, giving us an opportunity for heaven. If there's somebody in the room today who has never said yes to Jesus, who's never taken that offer, I pray that they would. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.